Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Majority 54 audience. This is Ravi Gupta. And just a disclaimer on the front end, there was a problem with the local audio today. It got corrupted on my side, which means that my audio is going to sound blippy for you. I apologize. Hopefully, you will never hear this blippy audio again. Uh, I'm going to be changing. It seems like there's some kind of hardware problem on my end, so I apologize. But awesome conversation, so hopefully you can endure that uh, and hear us out on a bunch of really important issues. With that, let's get to the show. Justice Clarence Thomas is in hot water after revelations he's been secretly accepting expensive trips from a Republican mega donor. We'll try to answer the question everyone is still asking, does it matter? We'll also discuss a federal court ruling that invalidated the FDA's approval of an abortion pill. Then we'll examine a growing GOP chorus calling for war with Mexico. You heard that right. Finally, we'll unpack the evolution of the term Soros-backed and how it has come to mean anyone the extreme right does doesn't like this is majority 54 Ravi how you doing hey Jason uh, well let me tell you a story I when I was a young buck about to enter my first year in law school I went to the Supreme Court for the first and only time in my life and Clarence Thomas of all people sat down with me and the group I, I was with and at the time I was like you know what I don't agree with a lot of what this guy has to say, but he sure is a nice guy. And one of the things I remember at the time was he was telling the story about he and his wife. He was like, I'm just a regular guy. And we just go around the country and we just like to mix it up with regular folk. And, you know, we have an RV and people don't know who I am. And so, uh, you know, I get to basically go incognito and learn about the real America. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I have this Clarence Thomas guy all wrong. Uh, Turns out, no, I had him right. Uh, <laughs> this, no, you know, you know what it is, Ravi. His search for the real America it just expanded. Yeah, and he 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 was so inquisitive and curious. He had to take it outside of America. I know he's he's honestly he's making me look like I'm you know <laughs> like a displaced person or something. Like what? Like so the background here. I think everybody knows basically the contours of this right now is that it's been revealed that for more than two decades he's been accepting luxury trips uh, virtually every year, from what we could tell, potentially even long, like more than every year, from a Dallas businessman named Harlan Crow which I'm kind of jealous, Jason, that we didn't get to make up that name no for our screenplay kidding. that we're writing. Um, yeah. But the this is a guy who makes $285,000 a year as a public servant. And as I've described, he's very fond of talking about how in touch he is with the American people and he has his RV. Now, he didn't disclose these, which may be illegal. And certainly, Jason Wright, is, is unethical. Can we all just agree on that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, does anybody think that the reason he didn't disclose them is just, oh, whoops. Like, I mean, yeah. he didn't disclose them because he's like, can I figure out a way to not disclose this? Right. <laughs> like, right. Which is what you do when you're like, nah, I don't know if this is okay. And right. In fact, this is probably not okay. And so, yeah, that's there what is, he's doing. There is a law involved here, which is the 1978 Ethics and Government Act, which... Uh, applies to justices apparently where they must file a financial disclosure each year that lists gifts of more than $450 
$415 in advance uh, of even an appearance of impropriety. Now, there's a whole separation of powers issue here, whether Congress really can legislate that. And unfortunately, if there were such a question about such a law, it would go right to the very people that we're trying to hold accountable, which is just a flaw in our democratic system, I would say, is that there's nobody to police these people. Uh, and you know lo- what, what I find fascinating, we've talked about this on the podcast before when we talked about the Ginny Thomas revelations, is that lower court justices, state court justices, district court judge- justices, magistrate judges around the country are all subject to way more stringent ethical standards than our Supreme Court. And as Justice uh, Chief Justice Roberts has said, basically, we're fine policing ourselves. I, I'm sorry, I, they're not fine policing themselves. They appear to be bought and sold. Yeah, clearly. And but they don't see it that way, right? Like I I I'm sure that Thomas is not the only one on the court who looks at what he's doing and goes like, "Well, you know, it was a friend of his." And that seems to be the defense that they're using. It's a, that you know, you keep seeing people say, "Well, Supreme Court justices are allowed to have friends." And look, that is a, an absurd argument that this guy is just a friend, but it's like the Bismarcky song keeps playing in my head. <laughs> but but like I, I see how Clarence Thomas and Jenny Thomas think this guy is just a friend of mine, right? Um, because over 20 years of vacationing with someone, you probably become pretty close friends. But that completely loses perspective over what's happening here. And I've seen this play out actually, like in a state legislature, for instance. So here, here's how the line between friend and benefactor gets blurred and really gets blurred even to the point where you forget who your actual constituents are. So here's how I saw it play out like when I was in the in, in state politics, which is, you know, at first you go down to a place like Jefferson City or in this place, you, in this case, you get to the Supreme Court and you're thinking about the people who you're supposed to be either representing or, or working on behalf of in the case of the Supreme Court. You know, ideally, that's who you're thinking about. And then what happens is your constituents tend to be the people who you spend the most time around, whether purposefully or not. So in Jefferson City, what I saw when there were at that time no limits on the gifts that lobbyists could give, and I was the stick in the mud who wouldn't take gifts from lobbyists and everybody found it annoying, I would watch as people I was friends with, Democrats and Republicans, would never eat a meal that they paid for. Like if they were going out to a meal, they made sure a lobbyist was either present or no joke, I saw people call lobbyists and ask them to put meals on their credit card so that they wouldn't have to pay for it. Right. <laughs> and, and I mean, it's, and so then what happens is after a while, if you like, if you're in a, a safe district or in this case, a seat where you have a lifetime appointment, you don't have to go back and actually be with the people who, who you represent. Instead, what you do is you spend most of your leisure time or your, you know, not on the floor work time around people who have an agenda. And that's what happened here. Harlan Crow is like one of the architects of the idea of putting uh, conservatives on the court uh, of conservative judicial philosophy through the Federalist Society. He has at these gatherings all these other mega donors who all have business in front of the court, whether it is whether their name is on the pleading or not. Obviously, the decisions that are made by the Supreme Court greatly impact their own businesses. And these people they get access to, to Clarence Thomas. They don't even have to talk about the cases. What ha- what happens is, is that at some point you look at decisions and you don't see just the points of law. You see the players involved. You see the friends and you're pitting friends against each other. I saw this in the statehouse. I saw where there'd be like a vote where, you know, you're doing a lot of votes at once and somebody would run in and they'd be running to their seat and they'd only have like 30 seconds to push red or green. And they'd say, what is this vote? 
and I, I'm not kidding you, Robbie. Instead of saying like, oh, it's between pharma and you know, um, medic Medicaid purchasers, they would say uh, uh, Bob and 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 James. Like they would name two lobbyists, and they would say like who was on the opposite side, right? And then I would I would watch legislators vote based on which of those two people were their friend, and and so that's how this works. Is that they don't realize that those people have a job to do and that job is to become their friend. I don't fault the lobbyists in this. They're just yeah. doing their job. In fact, the lobbyists in these cases would usually prefer to not have to take these people that they don't really like out to dinner all the time. Now, maybe Harlan Crow genuinely likes Clarence Thomas, but it just happens to be the case that Harlan Crow and all of the other people who go on these like uh, weird retreats uh, all benefit greatly from Clarence Thomas feeling like he's like their friends. And really, after a while, they're just his constituents. That's who his constituents are. Friends with benefits. Great movie, with by the way. Major benefits, yeah. yeah. Major I think that benefits. might be our episode title. But the yeah. uh, Sheldon Whitehouse had a really good tweet about what you were talking about, which is, you know, who are these people and do they have business before the courts? Uh, and what he said was, um, if you're smoking cigars with Leonard Leo and other right-wing fixers, you should know they don't just have business before the court. Their business is the courts right and i think it's well said like this they're, they've made it their whole life's work to remake this court now uh this makes me think about thomas's defense which to me the bullshit detector was just sounding when he said that he had checked with his colleagues on whether this was appropriate or not uh, a long time ago uh and that they said it was now very convenient to have a bunch of colleagues who are either dead or retired, all of them. Uh, <laughs> right. So you could say like in 1992, whenever I started this, yeah, they all said it. it's like it's like when the Menendez brothers were sent to prison um, and they killed their parents and then they blame their parents for abusing them. And they're like, all right, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. But it's a very convenient defense when you've killed your parents. So they can't also- actually say that they're like, you know what I'm saying? It's. Uh, I mean, Sorry for the Menendez fans out there. I know there's some weirdos out there who love these people. Really? Yeah, there's okay, a whole well, thing now. Gen Z loves the Menendez brothers, apparently, which is one of the weirdest oh 1990s coming back to haunt us type of things. But it's a whole different story. It's it's also like before Harlan Crow was Harlan Crow. I mean, right. it's it's like it's like saying like, look. I checked with all the Jedi and they were cool with Anakin Skywalker. So I don't know what the problem is that I'm working with Darth Vader and going on vacations with him. I don't know why that's a problem now, 20 years later, right? right. Like, it's like, well, because back then he was just a Dallas businessman. And now, right. like, he's this guy. <laughs> so I think anybody knows, anybody looking at this knows it's wrong. He now says he's going to comply with some new rule that came out recently about this. And he said, of course I'll comply now. I'm like, okay, why is it now? Of course. <laughs> like, uh, But like we moving beyond the legal part of this, the ethics of it to me is very clear. And this is a court that has consistently pl- applied one set of rules for the American public, for other justices, for other politicians, and another set of rules for themselves. As we talked about in this podcast, they uh, ruled that abortion clinics couldn't erect barriers to uh, and certain like distance requirements for protesters for the safety of people visiting their clinics because they said that violated the First Amendment. Basically, simultaneously, the court erected barriers around itself in and around mm-hmm. the Dobbs decision to protect themselves. So somehow uh, a woman looking to get health care can't be protected 
uh, and somehow like has to accept some radical version of the First Amendment, but the Supreme Court itself can erect whatever barriers they want for their own safety. It's absurd. So the question that I think this brings up is, should we even do anything about it? Like, should the Democrats in the Senate, should there be? Because, I mean, I think everybody understands that given the power dynamics of the Supreme Court, like, it's not like there's going to be a vote, you know, to um, to remove him. Right? right. But I think the answer is, yeah, you still have to follow the truth. Like, we don't know what an investigation by the Senate would actually yield. I mean, it, who knows? Like, we know that he was hiding all this stuff. Who? What else is he hiding? And, and that's right. that's super important. It could. I mean, just by itself, it could result in things like maybe he gets uh, like pressure to actually recuse himself from something he should recuse himself from at some right. point if more if more light is shed on this. So, uh, you know, I asked at the top of the show, does it matter? Yes, it matters. Uh, but we tend to think of things mattering only if they will play a role in the next election or remove a person from office. And there are a lot of ways that things can matter sort of on the periphery other than that. And so right. it has to be fully pursued. Yeah, we have to mount a pressure campaign specifically aimed at people like Roberts and yes, Kavanaugh, whatever our feelings are about them, these people who actually do care what their colleagues think about them and care what uh, you know other judges think about them, think about what maybe the op-ed pages in the New York Times say about them. That's certainly true of Roberts. Now, mm -hmm. uh, what you know, Roberts, somebody who I have a lot of disagreements with, is the kind of person who's going to be talking to David Brooks, who's going to be like, hey, man, like, isn't this Clarence Thomas thing embarrassing? You know, and Roberts can be a swing vote on some of this stuff, right? Especially if we can get one or two more people on this court in the next few years or decade, hopefully, right? So we need to mount a long-term pressure campaign to delegitimize Thomas uh, in the names of the people around him, right? Like, obviously, like, there are going to be some of the members, like Alito on that court, who could give a fuck about what anybody thinks. But some of them may still care. And for us, like, I think it's really important to just keep the pressure on, keep the pressure on, make their lives as hard as possible. Obviously, like, we want to maintain the safety of anybody. We don't want to do any of, like, the stuff that the right wing does in terms of spurring up violence. Um, but at the same time, this is an institution that is increasingly becoming illegitimate. And we need to keep pointing towards that because these are people who put on fancy robes, um, sit in a marble structure, try to spend as little time as possible in and around the American people, whine anytime they're called out on their bullshit, and we just need to make it as uncomfortable for them as possible to live this sort of storied existence. And, and we have to take aim at this, the story that they tell themselves, that they're above the fray. Like they are the people who, who sit in judgment of the rest of us. Like we need to turn that story around and start judging them. Yeah. And who know, it also could dictate like the next time that we have to uh, put a, a justice on the court, like holding him accountable on this me means that people who are jurists right now who are thinking about getting on the court, like hopefully it, it, it makes them think about, oh, well, is this going to be part of a confirmation hearing? Should I not go on this vacation that I'm being invited to with Lex right. Luthor or whatever? Right. And so, so here's, here's how I know that we are right that a pressure campaign like that is, is important is because uh, the right wing seems very eager to see people get distracted by some of the, um, the tangential stuff in this story, right? And one of which is this, uh, admittedly to me, 
like wild and frankly kind of humorous uh, stuff about Harlan Crow having Hitler artifacts. Now, the background to this uh, is that we didn't this didn't come out just in this case. Some people may remember and I was reminded of it through these stories uh, that Harlan Crow actually was. Uh, hosting a fundraiser for uh, Rubio back in 2016. And Rubio had to like, I, I don't remember if he had to cancel or if he had to uh, apologize because it came like right around uh, Yom Kippur, I think, uh, or something like that. And it and that's when the world learned that he had this Nazi artifact collection, um, and, you know, as well as like other dictators and stuff. But but they uh, they are running, they are, they are taking our uh, outrage at the fact that, you know, Clarence Thomas is so friendly with a guy who fetishizes the, that world. Uh, and they're trying to turn it around and say, look how out of touch we are. But really, this is what they want to talk about, as evidenced by uh, Ben Shapiro here uh, this week on, on his show. And apparently he's a very, very bad man. You're not allowed to be friends with Justice Thomas because apparently they're now accusing him. I'm not kidding you of being like a Nazi. The reason that is because this is what Nazis do. They make friends with, with Clarence Thomas that Nazis, famous for loving black people, that this is one of the things they're most famous for. So Kevin Cruz, who is just a ridiculous human being, a pseudo academic over Princeton University, who has somehow avoided plagiarism charges that have gotten him kicked out of the university. He tweeted out, I've spent decades of my life researching and writing about white supremacists. And no, I don't have any paintings or statues of them in my house because that's not something you do with the people you hate. What's he talking about there? Well, apparently Harlan Crow collects basically memorabilia from defunct communist and Nazi states. And he has a garden in which he displays these things to show what the what the capitalistic free market and Judeo-Christian ethic has overcome. Apparently, this now means you're a fan of these things. So if you own a piece of memorabilia from an evil regime in order to demonstrate to your children, so that people remember for the future what that evil regime was, this means you're now a fan of that thing, according to Kevin Cruz. It, this, this is the actual thing they're going for. According to the Washingtonian, when Republican megadonor Harlan Crow isn't lavishing Justice Thomas with free trips on his private plane and yacht, he lives a quiet life in Dallas among his historical collections. These collections include Hitler artifacts, two of his paintings of European cityscapes, a signed copy of Mein Kampf, assorted Nazi memorabilia, plus a garden full of statues of the 20th century's worst despots. He said that he's filled his property with these mementos because he hates communism and fascism. Well, I mean, that seems like a reason why you might own this stuff is to remember the things that you hate. That's it. <laughs> but apparently this makes him a Nazi and a, and, a, and a communist. Now, can I name two moves here as a, as a long observer of Ben Shapiro? Just two yeah, moves please. that he makes. So there are more moves that he made here, but there are two really important ones to keep an eye on out for Ben Shapiro. Because I have people in my life who say, oh, he's he calls it like it is. And he's like mm -hmm. independent and yada, yada. Two things he did here that he always does. One is whenever he's talking about somebody on the left, the amount of parentheticals to discredit the person before he even gets to his point are outrageously long, right? Like somehow we need to talk about this guy's plagiarism scandal, whatever. Now, yeah. just think about if this person was a right-wing professor, like would, would there be any uh, uh, parentheticals? Of course not. So that's a movie he always does. No, right? he'd, be, he'd be like a brilliant uh, jurist, you know, or bi yeah. a brilliant or historian. He may, he may say nothing but he probably right. will say something positive. Now, the second thing he does is Which, he Which, by the way, I don't even know if what he said about Kevin Cruz is true. I have no so idea. Let's, yeah, let's, I don't even want to Let's just it. say- I have no idea. Let's just say, okay. like, let's not take- Let's not assume that that's right at all. Right. It's just what Ben right. Shapiro said. For sure. 
Second thing he does is the most important thing he does is he finds the best possible explanation for the behavior of people he wants to believe in, namely people on the right. So he's like, look, what's the best possible explanation for why this guy is Nazi memorabilia? Oh, that he wants to teach his children to avoid it. Now, just imagine if this were Ilhan Omar and he were, right. and she were to, to have this stuff. And let's say she gave that explanation. Do you think for a second that Ben Shapiro would be getting on his show to say, you know what? She wants to teach her kids or like, you know, her cousins or her constituents that they want to avoid the evil of the Nazis. That's why she has Nazi memorabilia. There's a 0% chance that that would ever happen. So I just want to- <laughs> no, he, he would forever to refer to her yeah, as Nazi, Nazi lover. Yeah. <laughs> like he would so just, just give her a new name. Just one of the many reasons why this guy is so full of shit. Uh, yeah. Unbelievable. Well, uh, here's what I took from this. One, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I don't want to take their bait. But, you know, and we've but we've already addressed why this is problematic right. and what should be done. So with that said, I don't even go. He you know, look, he wants to portray it as look, liberals are so crazy that they're saying that this guy because he collects stuff must be a Nazi. I don't even. That was a pretty I'm good impression, even, by that was pretty fast. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm trying to talk through my liberals are so great. You know, it's, it's yeah. really it's really right. hard to imagine that I never actually experienced puberty. Um, and so, like, you know, my voice anyway, I'm not saying he didn't. I have no idea about the anatomical situation. I'm just saying. From he an audio he allegedly, perspective, he allegedly experienced puberty. He, I mean, he's he is growing facial and hair look, now. And the difference between me and him is, oh, I'm okay with those choices. Whatever he made, like I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm fine sure. with that. I don't judge More him for that. Sure. Everybody should yeah. should uh, go their own way. So what I'm saying really is that uh, I'm not even falling for the the bait where he's acting like we're freaking out and saying the guy's a Nazi. I'm not even saying that. Yeah, I don't even know that. what the guy is, honestly. Yeah, I just think it's fucking weird, and yeah. and my 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 deal on it is like, there there's not that many scenarios where it's not weird to have that shit in your house, and I'll tell you what the scenarios where it's not weird are. It's like you or your dad or your grandfather killed a Nazi in Europe seventy seven years ago and brought that shit home as a war trophy. Other than that, it's kind of weird that you have assigned Mein Kampf in your house. It's right. weird that you have this stuff from Hitler if it wasn't a war trophy, right? I, it, it, yeah. I just can't imagine it not making anyone else uncomfortable. And even that, I think, would make you uncomfortable. But my favorite take on it uh, came from from uh, our friend Judd Apatow. Uh, and Judd had a great tweet about it. Um, let, me, let me pull it up here. So uh, Judd said... Uh, he was talking about his own statue garden being, you know, sarcastic here. He said, yeah, we all do that. My serial killer statue garden serves the same purpose. Sometimes I go out there and sit with Bundy and Manson and think about how killing people is bad. It's a helpful reminder. <laughs> and I just thought that was so great and like a perfect response to the tact that uh, Shapiro is taking here. Unbelievable. Well, it does remind me, and this is not a joke. I do have a picture of John Brown hanging in my apartment. Now, John Brown, I view as a hero, though. He was a bit of a maniac, but I do view him mm -hmm. as a hero. Um, sure. Well, right. I mean, but but isn't that the point? That yeah. like you have him in, people can argue with whether or not that's okay, but you have that picture out of admiration. That's the yes. point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He reminds me about what it truly means to be committed. <laughs> All right. There you well, go. with that.
Uh, we we have a lot more going on here. We're going to talk about uh, the court ruling down in Texas over the uh, abortion pills. We're going to talk about a GOP effort to perhaps bomb Mexico. We're going to talk also about what it means to be Soros-backed. George, if you're listening, you want to stay tuned. We'll be right back. Cold turkey may be great on sandwiches, but there's a better way to break your bad habits. We're not talking about some weird mind voodoo from your wacky neighbor or some sketchy message board. We're talking about our sponsor, Fume, and they look at the problem in a different way. Not everything in a bad habit is wrong, so instead of a drastic, uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad from your habit? Fume is an innovative, award-nominated device that does just that. Instead of electronics, fume is completely natural. Instead of vapor, fume uses flavored air. And instead of harmful chemicals, fume uses all natural delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Your fume comes with an adjustable airflow dial and is designed with movable parts and magnets for fidgeting, giving your fingers a lot to do, which is helpful for de-stressing and anxiety while breaking your habit. Join fume in accelerating humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up the journey pack today. Head to tryfume.com and use code MAJORITY to save 10% off when you get the journey pack today. That's tryfum.com and use code MAJORITY to save an additional 10% off your order today. All right. Well, Jason, some bad news out there. A federal judge on Friday suspended the FDA's approval of mifistoprone, the most popular method for terminating a pregnancy in this country. This uh, drug was first approved in 2019. Uh, there was an earlier version of it approved in 2000. Um, this blocks a hormone called progesterone needed for a viable pregnancy. It's usually taken in combination with a medicine called misoprostol. Hopefully that's enough medicines we're going to talk about today. And that's to end... <laughs> A pregnancy during the first 10 weeks. Judicial activism is, this is what it feels like. Uh, now we've got to split decisions in the courts. So this thing seems like it's going to be headed for the Supreme Court. Yeah. And just to really underline why, I mean, look, it's obviously a big deal because of the consequences, right? Because we're talking about people not having access to this sort of care. But from a legal perspective, it it crosses a huge threshold, right? Because this is a, this is a, a federal court saying, that they're going to review and second guess and in fact overturn the decision of the federal drug uh, administration the food and drug administration which is you know independent and, right. and it and it's an, an, an administrative process this is not something that is traditionally reviewable right i mean yeah. it would be because like generally for a federal court to overturn an administrative action like that uh it has to be uh, what I believe the standard is arbitrary and capricious, that which is like yeah. a very high standard to meet. Well, this is a part of a long line of moves that the judiciary is making to undermine the ability of the Biden administration to, to govern. All of a sudden now, we've talked about this on this podcast, they've become enamored with this major questions doctrine at the Supreme Court. We've talked about this basically to gut the, the federal government's ability to take general language in the statutes and you know, make meaning out of it decades later after laws have been passed. This is something yeah. that we've always taken for granted, but all of a sudden they found this doctrine and fallen in love with it during a democratic administration. Right? Well, and there's a lot of reasons why this is, why doing this is bad. 
many, many, but way down the list is just the level of inconsistency that it creates for the American people when it just seems like out of nowhere, some court and some judge that you've never even heard of can just strike down something here. Like that's the problem with them constantly trying to uh, mess with where the levers of power are. Because if you think like you and I went to law school, I practiced law for five minutes. You know, you went to law school. Zero minutes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) but, But my, but my point is like, we we have you know three years of education to be like oh okay i you and i as by virtue of that uh have at least a vague recollection of what it takes to overturn an administrative ruling like this but that's not the majority of americans the majority of of americans are just seeing uh courts step in in situations like this all the time and they're like wait a minute so like just anybody can stop these things at any time because you know they talk about how uh this is the same sort of way that um like obama's uh daca stuff was overturned at one point you know so it does create a lot of uh, volatility and particularly for somebody who's in need of abortion care. I think this is why, and I think the American public is starting to catch on to this. This is a very, this is not a popular position for Republicans, which we'll get to. And I think one of the reasons why Wisconsin was as lopsided as it was, and one of the reasons why we overperformed in the midterms is people are starting to connect the dots. They're becoming wise to the fact that, yeah, there may be some smooth talking politician who talks out of both sides of their mouth on the right on some of these issues. But people are seeing past that and being like, you know what? Like the, it, the future Susan Collinses of the world who make all these promises or whatever are still confirming these judges. So no matter how much you may like that person, as much as you like, they may seem like a nice person. Like in the end, they're always going to vote the way that the right wants them to, the way that Federalist Society wants them to, the way that Trump and and and, and what it means to be right has changed, right? Mm-hmm. Like they they they're getting more and more bold in what they're trying to pull off. And I think the good news for our side is that people are wise to it, and they're like, yeah, like and it's Pfeiffer wrote about this. Like the the GOP is losing the culture wars. If you think about it, mm-hmm. like they and they, and but they're also instigating them. That's the crazy right. part. Yeah, it's like it's like the <laughs> yeah, it's like the little person picking the fight, right? We're, and then we're, we're like to, holding them out at a distance at, at a, the end yeah. of our arm, and they're just swinging away and can't hit right. us. Uh, and my favorite it, version of this is the is the crime frame that they put together for the midterm, where mm-hmm. then voters then voted on crime issues, but then if you looked at the cross tabs, they were voting because they, in part because they wanted more gun control to prevent the kind of crimes <laughs> that the GOP was telling them were happening. Do you, you remember know? the the Dave Chappelle skit when keeping it real goes wrong? No, Do you remember I that? I'm embarrassed that I don't know. This. The the whole the whole premise of it was that like you know keeping it real meaning like hey if somebody if somebody. Uh, smarts off to you if somebody says something you don't like you can't just take it like you you can't back down right and so when keeping it real goes wrong was just stories of you know it was made sort of like mockumentary style of like people who kept it real and then like got the absolute crap kick kicked out of them right and they, right. it went very poorly for them it remind that's what this is like the decades of republican politicians talking about how against abortion they are and how they want to outlaw it. And now keeping it real has gone wrong because they got what they wanted. And now they have to have actual answers to this stuff and people are seeing what it's like. It reminds me of when I was, uh, this will shock you, Ravi. Um, I was, uh, a bit of a smart ass, um, <laughs> as a, as a middle schooler and an early high schooler. Um, and, and that was for a couple of reasons. One, um, I was this size in middle school. So I was like, I was, you know, I was five eleven, and, you know, 
160 or whatever. And, and so I was one of the biggest kids. And then I stopped growing, right? And the other thing that happened was one of my much, much bigger brothers, uh, who was three years older than me, uh, he was always around and then he went off to college. And so that's when keeping it real went wrong for me because <laughs> I used to smart, I used to be such a smart ass. And I realized somewhere around sophomore year of high school that Justin wasn't going to be there to get in the face of like the football player from the other school who I'd been talking smack to. And that, and I realized it pretty quick. That is the Republicans on the abortion issue now is like right. for years they're talking about. It, and now it's like, oh, OK, uh, well, now the, the abortion pill can be taken away by a judge in Texas and you've got people like Congresswoman Nancy Mace being like, this is not good, who, yeah. you know, holds herself out to be anti-choice. Um, right. It's a real, it's a, it's a real sticky wicket for him. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious as to what the heck Nancy Mace's position is, but it's a whole other podcast. Mm -hmm. But so uh, there was a great piece in Politico on this uh, and it says uh, the title of it was abortion was a 50, 50 issue. Now it's Republican quicksand, essentially talking about what we're talking about. And they looked at Wisconsin and said, you know, there was a little polling on, on the race itself, like the judicial race, but in a 2022 midterm exit poll of the state, a combined 63% of Wisconsin voters said abortion should be legal in all or most cases. Uh, and only 34% said it should be illegal. So that's a pretty lopsided set of numbers. And they kind of go through numbers, including Gallup numbers, et cetera, where, you know, the American people have just switched. They flipped on this issue. And the Republicans, I think, are, you know, there's a, there's a well-worn metaphor of the dog who caught the car. This is absolutely what the GOP is right now. Yeah. Well, and I would even get into like the 34%, the ones who still say that they want it to be illegal. That's where when you do something like say that the abortion pill uh, is not going to be legal, that's when you, I think, are going to lose for them. They're going to lose some of those people too. Because I would, t I would say just in my own uh, unscientific discussions that I've had here in the middle of the country where there's a lot of people uh, around me who would probably put themselves in that 34%, uh, and I have conversations with those folks, I think that quite a few of those people, if you really scratch the surface, are are like, and I don't mean this to say that they're hypocritical. I mean this to say they take for granted the idea that certain things are still available, right? Like Missouri is a state uh, where you know we're having these battles, and and the abortion pill is very important for people here because they've they've outlawed abortion. We're one of the states where they have. So I think a lot of those people would look at it, and what they would actually say if they were being completely honest with themselves is, I think it should be illegal in all or most cases. And at the same time, of course, I think that I or people that I'm very close to should have access to it. Right. right. And but right. they don't they don't say that either, even to themselves, but that's what they're feeling. And so when when they when the uh, anti-abortion activists go so far as to take this route and make it so that you can't have access to this very safe, very effective uh, form of, of birth control form or, or form of uh, reproductive health, I think that you're going to dig further in to that 30 plus percent that say that they're, I think a lot of those people are gonna be like, whoa, if that's what anti-choice is, I don't think I'm that. And that's a big problem for them. Well, uh, hopefully this quicksand continues to engulf the GOP. We'll obviously keep an eye on this story. And, you know, we really feel for the, this, there's real human consequences to this. Obviously states are starting to stockpile this drug. There's going to be a lot of confusion and this court's going to have to weigh in again, this very court that we talked about, like the court that's been bought and sold by, evil sounding billionaires. So we will, uh, we'll, we'll probably revisit this unfortunately soon as it winds its way through the courts, but we're going to take another break for ads. When we come back, we're going to talk about growing GOP support for war with Mexico. Uh, we're also going to talk about this term Soros backed, and then we're going to grab an oar. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. The seasons are changing, which if you live anywhere but California means that what it's like outside is changing every day. So like here in Kansas City, it's suddenly like California every day. It's really nice. And it can sort of lull you into thinking, I must be fine now. You're like, whatever was bothering me before when it was gray and rainy and maybe there was snow outside, I guess I'm over all that stuff. No, you're probably not over all that stuff. You probably just feel a little bit better because the weather is pretty good, but that's going to settle back into an equilibrium where you don't feel quite so good again. So whatever it was that was upsetting you before when the weather wasn't good, it's probably about to start upsetting you again. Bad news. I'm sorry, but it's true. And that's why BetterHelp is such a good option for you. I've talked a lot about how much I've benefited from therapy. Uh, look, the weather gets better, the weather gets bad. It doesn't really matter. You got to ignore those ups and downs in life and you got to work on the climate, so to speak, right? Your mental climate, not just your your weather in your head, but your climate. And that's where therapy can become so valuable. If you've never tried therapy, maybe BetterHelp is a great way for you to start. If you've tried therapy, but maybe you don't live near your therapist anymore, BetterHelp is a way for you to get back into going to therapy. Either way, Take advantage of BetterHelp. It's right there, and it can make a big difference for you. So discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash M54 today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash M54. Athletic Greens, as you well know, is a partner of ours that has been a part of my daily routine now for years. I take AG1 uh, by Athletic Greens literally every day. Uh, here's my routine. I don't know what yours is. My routine is I wake up in the morning and I go and I get my little shaker bottle and uh, I, I take, I, I use the stuff out of the fridge. So I, I put the powder in the fridge. You don't have to, but I like it a little cold. So then I, I put some water in the bottle and then I put some of the green stuff, the Athletic Greens, the AG1 in there. And then I put two little drops of their vitamin D stuff, which is great for immunity. And, and then boom, I got my, I got my AG1 and I drink it. Now you don't have to, I think you only got to drink it with like 10 ounces of water or something like that. I like to just overdo it. You don't have to do this. I like to put like 12 to 16 ounces of water in there because why not? It's the first thing in the morning and it tastes good. And now all of a sudden I've hydrated in 16, 12, 16 ounces of water. And personally, I'm kind of weird. I like, I try to drink a gallon of water every day. I've got like a thing that measures it. And now I feel like the first thing that happens in my day is I feel way ahead of things because I'm feeling great because I drank AG1 and I'm feeling great about myself because I went and hydrated first thing and got myself way down the line to my to my goal of, of a gallon for the day. So, you know, take it or leave it. But either way, you should take your AG1. If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens has given you a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com majority. That's athleticgreens.com majority. Check it out. Breaking news, Jason. I wanted to say first. Yeah, uh, you did good. <laughs> I, I don't think we've ever gotten to break news on you. So dear, people probably wonder... Like if you're if you're watching this live right now, you don't wonder. But if you're listening to the show, uh, you know when it when it drops, people probably wonder like, okay, what do they really do with the ad breaks? This is not the breaking news, by the way, folks. Me explaining this. Uh, we actually sit and wait. You're while the, so bad while the at breaking play. news. You're, I know. Go ahead. <laughs> you're the worst break the at news. breaking news. Break the news. Right, the, the, the news started to break while we were at the ad break. <laughs> I've never broken news before. I've I've never even fixed news. I don't no, even I know. know. So. Here's Break the news. this news. Here's the news. Uh, <laughs> former President Trump has sued Michael Cohen. I guess our colleague Michael Cohen now, Jason. He's I, our, our colleague. Co, I've never met co, him. I don't know it, yeah. me either. And, and if you told me a few years ago that I would work at the same place as Michael Cohen, I'd have probably been skeptical. <laughs> so, Well, uh, our colleague, uh, we'll see him at the, the Christmas and Hanukkah party, uh, Michael Cohen uh, has been sued now by my, Donald Trump, fresh off the presses, for more than $500 million, apparently- 
in the court document, they mention our very own Midas Network. There it is on the screen. The podcast is produced by Midas Touch. It's great advertising for us. Oh, it says, it says it says it's produced by Midas Touch, an independent political action committee or super PAC fueled by anti-Trump. Well, that's news to me. Oh, I, uh, I think that, that, that sums up my fr- our friends in the comment section to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, but, but yeah. I mean, I... Yeah, it's a media. It's a media network fueled by Trump donors. I mean, okay, uh, Look, or fueled by anti-Trump did. donors. Part of history, I but like, I. My question is: yeah. Do we now have grounds for a defamation suit? Does Does Midas touch against? I mean, just keep the keep the know. whole carnival going. I'm kidding, but not really. This is a definitely a weird Forrest Gump like existence. Sometimes I feel like I have because, like, given my work with Bragg, now I'm on Midas. Michael Cohen's my mm-hmm. colleague. I'm not like directly involved in any of this stuff, but it's just weird to know all these players. Uh, it's we're part of history, Jason. Like this oh, is what it is. I mean, as a sidebar, it is incredibly strange to still, you know, at the, when I do turn on like cable news or whatever, and there's like a three person panel on the screen, I usually don't even say anything, but every once in a while I'll turn to Diana. I'll be like, Oh, I, I know two out of three of those people really well. And like, but I haven't right. talked to them in like a year. It's so yeah, you and right. I are forest gumping it all over American politics and have been it's, for years. It's better than the nine person NFL Sunday show style CNN things that they do where it's like, you know, it's like if you take out your binoculars, you can find David Axelrod next to Van Jones. Man, I used to have to do that. And it was like, it's just like, and I stopped doing it because at some point I was like, I just sat in this chair for an hour and a half and I spoke for four minutes. Yeah. And it's like, what am I doing here? You know, I think the world could have done without my four minutes. Well, we'll obviously keep an eye on that breaking news. But more importantly, Jason, you recently went to Mexico, I remember. Uh, did yeah, you yeah. know? Did you know something I didn't know? Was that your your last trip before the, the big war breaks out? Uh, yeah, I was on a recon mission um, yeah. for, uh, as, you know, as know a former intelligence officer. I know they can do that. They can call you up and get you back in action. Uh, what did you yeah, learn? I mean, uh, I learned Pancho's Tacos, man, a really good al pastor uh, at Pancho's Tacos yeah. in Puerto Vallarta. Um, <laughs> and that's going to be vital information for the coming invasion. All right. Tell us about this latest thing, which, by the Look, way, I, I'm reserving judgment on this. You'll, you'll be surprised. I, I, I'm not. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. Well, I don't know exactly what to make of this, but Politico is reporting that in recent weeks, Donald Trump has been discussing sending, quote, special forces and cyber warfare to target cartel leaders if he's reelected president. Uh, He asked for battle plans to strike Mexico. Representative Crenshaw from Texas and Mike Waltz from Florida introduced a bill seeking authorization for the use of military force to put us at war with the cartels. Senator Cotton said he's open to sending U.S. troops into Mexico to target drug lords, even without the nation's permission, meaning Mexico's permission. And lawmakers in both chambers have filed legislation to label some cartels as foreign terrorist organizations who are supported by the GOP. Now, the last part I don't have as much issue with. I think the idea, though, of... uh, sending in troops to Mexico without the permission of our Southern neighbor. I mean that I could see a couple of things that could go wrong with that plan. (laughs) A couple of things. All right. I'm going to unpack this a little, uh, the whole, like naming them as terrorist organizations, from my understanding, from what I've read about this, it really wouldn't make much of a difference in terms yeah, of- Yeah, that I have the, less issue with. Yeah, yeah the, the, because I think it's rhetorical, right? So yeah. I, I'm against it because I don't think it does anything other than it's just politics. Um, if somebody were able to reveal to me that it would create some sort of uh, you know, enhanced ability to take them on that didn't create an international incident and make things worse- I'd be willing to hear that. But but Biden's already done executive orders to uh, get enhanced law enforcement powers to deal with the cartels and that kind of thing. Now, the rest of this, um, 
It's really interesting, actually, because just yesterday uh, I recorded, I don't think it's aired yet, but I recorded, um, I guested on Steve Schmidt's uh, podcast. Um, and, uh, and you know, he's a really thoughtful guy. Uh, and and um, Is he, he still with the Lincoln Project, by the way? No, no, not at all. Um, he, he left and then they started to, in my opinion, really uh, be a lot less effective. But, but so... Um, Steve has a deep fluency with history and that kind of thing. And he was asking me um, about uh, like sort of how I felt um, about this generation of veterans and whether or not they are actually when they get into office are going to be less likely to send troops into battle. And, and, you know, that kind of because like obviously, you know, we know like JFK was was more reticent uh, to send folks in. And, and, and typically our leaders who have actually been to war are less trigger happy when it comes to to using the military. And I was telling them that I don't think necessarily that that's going to be the case long term, but that my hope is, is that our veterans who are in office are going to be much more thoughtful about like how we equip and how we use the military. Uh, and, and then, and then this happens and it's like, you got Tom Cotton and like Dan Crenshaw and these guys saying, yeah, we should be able to put ourselves on a war footing. Now, what you don't hear those people doing is saying we should do it, whether or not Mexico goes along with it, because if you're going to treat the cartels like a terrorist organization and you're going to go in and you're going to do things like what we did to go after bin Laden in Pakistan, what we do, you know, in Syria, places like that. Well, you're, there's going to be a reaction to that. And and people who live in the areas where you're going to go after the cartels are not going to see it as you're going after the cartels. They're going to see it as there are foreign troops in our in our right. neighborhood. Right. And and that's when you're going to actually have a self-fulfilling prophecy where you're going to turn them into terrorist organizations. That's where you're going to have a lot more than fentanyl coming into the country. You're going to have actual responses, terrorist actions that are meant to get the United States not to do that anymore. That's when you have actual attacks and they have the capacity to do that. And then they use the example. They say, well, look what we did in Colombia. We worked with the Colombian government and we sent troops in there. Okay. Yeah. That is a much farther distance. That's not our next door neighbor. And also that was like a broken state. I mean, it was like they needed that because they didn't have the capacity to fight those cartels. Like Mexico has corruption. It has all these things, but it's not like Mexico is not like a failed state where you have to send people, but it might become one in that situation. Um, And so I'm against it, but the difference is I I am also like, I'm interested in if there are any actual serious people, so far none have presented themselves with ideas about this. I'm interested in hearing what they have to say. But so far when you've got people like Donald Trump saying he wants to use special forces and cyber warfare, what that says to me is like, he just, you know, thinks it's a 90s action movie and that these guys are ninjas in in black pajamas who are also hackers. I, I think that's what he thinks. And, and they can just go do right. stuff that other people can't. And that's not really how it works. The As we like to say in the army, the enemy gets a vote. So you can send yeah. troops in to do that stuff, but the cartels will be defending themselves. And that gets real, real awful, real, real quick. Well, you know, it's always interesting to me, our relationship with the cartels and drugs generally, right? We always talk about taking out the cartels, their enemies. And look, these are brutal, terrible organizations. But uh, there are certain things we could do to dramatically mitigate this problem. Number one is we could legalize more drugs in this country. And in that sense, like take away this market that is fueling so much violence both across the border and within our cities. And I know that there are all sorts of feelings about that. But that to me continues to be the simplest solution to this problem. Number two is we could have some form of gun control because we love to talk about the fentanyl flowing one way, 
but we don't talk about the guns flowing the other way. Where do all these cartel members get their guns? They get them mostly from the United States, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, you know, like we don't hear, like, like how often do you hear about people down in Mexico saying, you know, we need to invade the United States to get some semblance of gun control, right? This is a problem at best if we're being the most generous to ourselves. We have the demand, we're sending the guns, right? We, we have an outsized sense of ownership over this problem, never mind the long and ugly history of our engagement with drug cartels. You know, we, for instance, supported certain cartel leaders over time who were anti-communist, right? If you mm-hmm. look at what happened in Nicaragua with Felix Gallardo and, and you know, the, the whole, you know, La Familia and all this kind of stuff, the U.S., you know, allegedly was supporting cartel leaders who were helping to ship uh, guns down to Nicaragua, and in a certain case, were implicated in their own murder of their own uh, DEA agent, uh, Kiki Camarena. Now, like these are all things that we either did or there's a lot of smoke, right? And at the same time, we're responsible mostly for what's going on here. There are a lot of things we could do, and I think painting our neighbors to the south as like the problem to me gets away from the spirit of that. Like, at best, we should be selling them on a collaborative. Uh, effort here and we should be careful like you take out one cartel you need a plan you take out one cartel right we did this when there was the confederation right like we got rid of the leader of the confederation where all the cartels were working together and basically violence broke out amongst the cartels and that's been the the story ever since right so like do we have a plan for if we take out one cartel how the other you know it's like a -a whack-a-mole game that we we shouldn't be putting american lives at risks without a long-term strategy well, Ravi, we'll be greeted as liberators, obviously. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Um, I hope the conversation gets better here. Um, but if that war breaks out, I think I will definitely make it down to my my second home in Costa Rica and live in the mountains, <laughs> um, become a uh, you know a, a a I guess a non-aligned uh, movement leader uh, in the mountains of Costa Rica, <clears throat> where I'm just not going to take sides in that fight. All right. Uh, last piece here, Soros back. So uh, let's throw this tweet up. Uh, Trump tweeted that Ron DeSantis is Soros controlled. Uh, let's see if we have this tweet. We might not have it. Um, it was a, it was like a meme that he he retweeted, and it yeah. just you know of course just says one of his backers, one of DeSantis' backers is is uh, Soros, which is like all you got to do is say that now. That's like how that oh, works. Here it is. Yeah, yeah. He's who supports Ron DeSantis this is what Trump truth out or whatever uh club for growth very interesting that now that's negative the lincoln mm-hmm. project uh and then george soros so i just think this is an interesting thing to end on which is soros backed this is a very interesting double standard i love the double standards where look it's fine if you take coke money or harlan whatever the hell his name is that we talked about earlier right you could take as much right-wing billionaire sheldon adelson all these people right but left-wing people can't take money from billionaires that's basically the double standard they set up and like they just have turned soros into this boogeyman um now Mm -hmm. i've never received soros money but listen if you're listening soros people give me a call um but i don't know if you have i haven't but it's like uh, but that money is around, and no, I've, I've, for some I've reason been, it's illegitimate. I've been but, Soros adjacent in the like uh, do good or nonprofit world, but nothing ever touching, and not in my veterans work or anything, but nothing ever touching politics. Like I, the, you know, there was a time when they were uh, really active, like the um, charitable arm was active in, in trying to help people get out of Afghanistan, and so I, I dealt yeah. with them a little bit there. I never met him, um, so like I've been adjacent to it in in uh, 
in furtherance of a, of a philanthropic cause. But that's as close as I've gotten. I've, I haven't paid for anything at this house with Soros money. I've never received a Soros check. Uh, yeah. Keep on. I'm gonna, I mean, maybe sure I need a bigger mailbox. Nice. Those are probably big checks. Yeah, maybe I need sure to get a bigger nice, yeah. mailbox. Yeah, I mean, you I do have know. that pickup truck, so you can come to them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll take cash. I'll take cash. Yeah, sure. Oh, actually, yeah. it's funny you say that because I'm pretty sure that was an actual uh, ad against me in 2016. I'm pretty sure they had guys who pulled up with a truck to a bank and they were getting Hillary dollars. Uh, oh, there you go. And, uh, so it's kind of funny that that's a real ad against me once. <laughs> oh, I got to go find that ad. I got to yeah. find that ad. Well, okay. I just thought it was funny. There's not much well, to talk I mean, about look, there. The other thing of it is, is like, it's just an anti-Semitic trope, right? I mean, like Soros, it's just like you're supported by the Jews. Now, that's not what right. it means every time they say it, yeah. but it's what they mean every time they say it for the people who are looking to hear that, if that makes right. sense. They, it, you know, like there are people who that's what they hear. And it's not like Republicans are like, but I don't mean that, <laughs> you right. know? So, I mean, it's kind of like uh, one of my races, I believe one of my opponents referred to me as Schumer's new dog. And I was like, hmm. That's not anti-Semitic, but it's anti-Semitic for an anti-Semitic audience. You right. Know, that, yeah. That's what it is. It's it's uh it's not dog whistle. It's more like uh they just it's it's a custom. It's a custom it, a custom attack, you know? It's bespoke. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, it's artisan. Well <laughs> it's nice. you know, they, they take their craft seriously over there. Well, yeah. okay. Well, grab an or Jason. Uh, I know there's a cause very, very near and dear to your heart. Yeah, actually, what I just mentioned sort of accidentally segues into this. It's not something we talked about this episode, but it's something I've been meaning to bring up again. And it's just something I want to briefly have the audience look into more because uh, it's still an issue that's out there. And that is something called the Afghan Adjustment Act, which has not passed. It's come very close to passing on a few occasions now. Um, and there are some Republicans who support it. Uh, all of the Democrats support it. And it needs more support in Congress. What the Afghan Adjustment Act is, is that uh, it, it helps relocated Afghan allies uh, become permanent residents. So as I'm sure a lot of people remember, uh, in the last, what, almost two years now, um, Tens of thousands of, of Afghans who worked closely with the United States and with the coalition in Afghanistan and risked their lives to do so uh, have resettled in the United States. But many of them are here under what's called humanitarian parole. You don't need to know all of the details of it. All you need to know is that they are here on a, on a very temporary basis. That's not like a full refugee status. And that makes it where their ability to work is in jeopardy. It, it, it doesn't allow them to establish any sort of permanent life here. And sadly, we did something like the Afghan Adjustment Act for Vietnam, for refugees of Vietnam who came to the United States, but we didn't pass it until 1992, I believe, which means it was a full 20 years after the war ended. And there is a rightful movement to make sure we don't make that mistake with the people who we worked with in Afghanistan who have come to this country and we allow them to become permanent residents and really, truly begin their lives here. So I would encourage people, if they're interested in this, to look up afghanevac.org. It's the organization run by my friend, uh, our friend, Sean Van Diver, who's actually been a guest on the show before. Uh, Longtime listeners on the show know that this is something I've been deeply involved with, but we don't need to get into that here. Just to say that for the people who have actually gotten here, 
they deserve to, you know, ha- be on a path to become full Americans um, because they've done more for this country than a lot of Americans have. Uh, and you can support that. You can go to afghanevac.org to learn more about it, uh, to become knowledgeable about the Afghan Adjustment Act, because ultimately the way this is going to end up passing is if people who did not serve in Afghanistan don't know anybody who came here from Afghanistan and would seemingly not be connected to this issue at all, start calling their members of Congress about it and try and make it a priority because it's something that has to get done. Well, amen to that. Uh, one one other plug here. The you know I've been building on the side this nonprofit media company over the past year and a half. It was called Lost Debates, but now uh, as of today we've rebranded. We're called the Branch, and so uh, basically what we do at the Branch is we try to have conversations across the ideological divide. So this is only for people. Only go visit it, and I'll tell you about a little bit of our shows. But only go visit it, and you go to the the branchmedia.org, and you can search for us at the Branch Media uh, on Instagram and. Twitter. Go there if you are really curious about what good faith uh, ideological opponents of, of you are thinking. So we've got people who are like, you know, a former Republican congressman from Florida as one of our co-hosts. One of my co-hosts on a show called The Lost Debate Show is a Gen Z New York Post columnist who's more right-leaning, mostly non-Trump conservatives and Republican who truly believe in things like smaller government and have different um, theories on everything from abortion, et cetera. But it's our opportunity to basically have the conversations that, for instance, like you would see on a show like The West Wing or something where people are like genuinely trying to engage each other. It's like very uncrossfire like uh, and because like in a world where I think like the right is so extreme uh, and you can't really have a good faith conversation with like Tucker Carlson, whatever. We've been on the hunt for people who are right, left, in between, who want to talk out the most thorny issues we have. So if that's the kind of thing that's appealing to you, go to the branchmedia.org. Uh, we have a couple of shows. The Lost Debate is a show where I debate that Gen Z libertarian. We have a show called The Citizen Stewart Show, uh, where an African-American former school board member talks all about education issues. We have a, a, a show called Sweat the Technique, which is where a bunch of former educators talk about how you could take lessons learned from the classroom uh, and implement them in life. We have a Spanish language show. We have a show on criminal justice reform. So you can check all that stuff out. We have India's largest true crime podcast. So we have a whole bunch of stuff going on. You can go to thebranchmedia.org, check out those shows, uh, and share them if you like them. Congratulations on that. Uh, I, I love the new name. Um, you know, I never- We don't really be- debate. We don't really yeah. debate on our shows. So that's why we changed it. Yeah, really. and to be and honest, like they, the last debate never rolled off the tongue. No, it just, it we were going to so change it to the lost discussion, which obviously mm-hmm. would have rolled off the tongue much better. <laughs> yes. uh, we were like, talking about, oh, music. Yeah, it's yeah, just beautiful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So other than that, what's new with you? We'll do the one for us before just got, we go. Well, well, I just got back from Costa Rica. Wonderful trip with a bunch of my friends um, and, you know, did all the things that you'd expect me to be doing down there. <laughs> uh, and I came back just in a good frame of mind. Very grateful just to have a lot of good people in my life and just feeling great in general. Well, good, you know, man. How about you? So you're ready to turn 40 in like two weeks. Well, I so wouldn't say it. that. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm ready. Uh, I'm resigned to it. Look, we, we're going to get older, you know, and I'm looking at you. You're the same guy that you were when you were in your 30s when I met you. So oh, you, know, well, you're, you. You're, you look yeah. exactly the same too. So, Well, that's yeah. that's recency bias. Um, so uh, I'm glad for it. I uh, The big thing going on for us today is that actually tonight, Diana will be realizing a lifelong dream of uh, doing stand-up comedy for the first time. Oh my God. And, uh, is it going to be on video? 
uh, we, I, I am getting video. Uh, that is my assignment there. And, uh, and then we'll post it. And so the story on it is, is there's this um, thing that a friend of ours does every year where it's uh, like Kansas City women who they put on a, like a comedy showcase. Some of them are comics. Some of, you know, a lot of them are just are not. Uh, and they write little short acts and they do it. And, and so it's, gonna, it's a, at a comedy club. It's, it's packed. It's sold out. Um, and, uh, Diana is doing five minutes and she's wanted to do this forever. And, you know, as you know, she's a, a very accomplished speaker. It's like what she does for, for a living. Sure. Um, so she's very comfortable on stage. Uh, and she wrote an, uh, a five minute set that is very funny. It is mostly about me and, or about not me, but about marriage and, 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 uh, and, uh, and it's very funny. And so I will probably post it at some point or, or she will, or both of us will. And, uh, I'm very excited for that because the, she's just doing it for fun. And I think, uh, having watched her write the jokes and practice the jokes uh, over the last couple of weeks, I can tell you that like she had she chosen or if she were to ever choose, she could do this for a living. Like she's very good at it. Uh, and wow. so I, I'm excited for that. Well, if, she, if whenever you guys are back in New York, let me know, because one of our employees here started kind of a comedy club ish type of thing going on down the block from here that gets sold out on the regular. So if mm -hmm. she ever wants to then take her material to New York, let us know. I'm okay. sure you got all the context, but it's like an, it's an easy I, hit. Um, well, uh, no, I mean, the way she is, she's probably going to be like, okay, now I kind of want to try this. Like if it goes well, her opening joke, just to give you an idea, I think it's pretty good stuff. Her opening joke is, uh, uh my husband and I have been married for 20 years and we make love almost every night almost on Monday, almost on Tuesday. <laughs> and, and so anyway, and then it kind of goes from there. So it's, it's, uh, it's pretty good. I'm excited for it. So, all right. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, remember to subscribe to majority 54, wherever you listen to audio podcasts, uh, you can just search majority 54, please leave a five-star review. Thank you to the Midas mighty. And remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.